Hello, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 11 of Dr. Music. I am Matthew Murillo. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's topic is going to involve a mystery because it involves a book that was written by a Russian musicologist about a very famous Russian composer named Dmitry Shostakovich, who lived from 1906 to 1975. And here's the thing. We do not know if this particular book, called Testimony, is accurate. Testimony was written by a Russian musicologist named Solomon Volkov in 1979. Now, keep in mind, Shostakovich passed away in 1975. And according to Volkov, he sat down with a series of interviews with Shostakovich, asking him about not only his career, but his philosophy of music and, most importantly, what it was like to write music under Stalin's oppressive regime. And you probably know that Stalin was not open to a lot of experimentation during that time. He was kind of on the conservative side when it came to the arts. So composers like Shostakovich and his contemporaries like Sergei Prokofiev were not free to write the kind of music that they really wanted to write. Instead, they were expected to write very patriotic, nationalistic Soviet music, which was called back then socialist realism. In other words, you had to write music that conformed to the communist philosophy. It had to be very optimistic. It had to have very strong, healthy Russian values, according to Joseph Stalin. And it couldn't be experimental in any nature, and it couldn't be infected by Western influences. That was called formalism. Now, formalism in the early to mid-20th century was an artistic philosophy that basically stressed the technique of the art form rather than the content. So a lot of composers, as you know if you've listened to any of my episodes, in the 20th century they were starting to really experiment with new techniques, new ways to express musical ideas, and new harmonic languages. Now, for the average composer, this was a good thing. You want to do something new, something refreshing, something that hasn't been done before. You don't want to just rehash the music of the 19th and the 18th century. But for somebody like Stalin, this was a threat. He considered so-called formalism a threat. Because for Stalin, the arts were a vehicle for making a political statement. And if a composer or an artist was just focusing on the technique, not the content, that was not good because then you're not being Russian enough. You're not being Soviet enough. That's not socialist realism. Socialist realism meant painting a realistic picture of the communist state, the Russian state. And as an artist, if you didn't conform to Stalin's philosophy, well, you could be on a show trial in front of a tribunal defending yourself, or worse, you could be put into prison, or worse, you could even be put to death. Shostakovich and Prokofiev survived mainly because they were so famous, so Stalin wasn't about to put them to death. Now, your average artist is not going to like his or her talent being suppressed or limited in any way, so Shostakovich was certainly not happy about Stalin's philosophy, and he definitely, although he didn't talk about it in public, definitely resented it, because Shostakovich was trying to be a free artist. All artists should be free. Well, the trouble really started when Shostakovich wrote an opera called Lady Macbeth of Mitsensk, which tells the story of a young woman named Katerina who is feeling strangled by her bourgeois life and is entangled with a lot of lovers and winds up killing some people. 
And not only did Stalin think the entire story was vulgar and didn't like all the dissonant, chaotic sounds, but he also didn't appreciate that Katerina was portrayed as kind of like a victim of bourgeois society. Stalin really wanted her punished more. The story just wasn't optimistic enough. It wasn't Russian enough. So Shostakovich got into a lot of trouble for writing that opera. Then he wrote his fourth symphony, but the premiere was canceled. And we don't know if it was canceled because of political pressure, but that's a pretty safe bet considering what happened with Shostakovich's opera. Now, I'd like to play you a little excerpt from the first movement of Symphony No. 4 to give you an idea of Shostakovich's style during this time. This was around 1936, and keep in mind, during this time, there were a lot of political purges going on. Shostakovich himself felt a lot of this pressure. His brother-in-law was sent to a camp. His sister was exiled. Some of his artist friends were even executed. So he was under a lot of pressure. So I think when you listen to this excerpt from the first movement of Symphony No. 4, it doesn't really conform to Stalin's idea of socialist realism. Now, I do have a musical question about this excerpt. What compositional technique is Shostakovich using here? This is a very energetic, frenetic... There's a lot of tension in this music, and it's meant to make you feel agitated. But what compositional technique is he using? This goes all the way back to the Baroque period. That's a hint. So here's Simon Rattle conducting the Berlin Philharmonic.
Wow. Imagine listening to that live, especially back then. Could be pretty overwhelming, and it still packs a punch today. Now, does anybody know what kind of musical technique Shostakovich was using? He was using what's called a fugal technique. Fugues were very, very popular in the Baroque period, and the person who wrote the best fugues is none other than Johann Sebastian Bach. Fugues start with a subject, a melody, and the subject can be followed by a secondary melody called a countersubject. But here's the thing. When that first melody comes in, it's imitated by another voice. You could almost think of it as an echo. A second voice comes in and imitates what the first voice did. That's at the beginning of a fugue. It's called the exposition of a fugue. So fugue always involves counterpoint. Counterpoint, if you've heard some of my prior episodes, is two or more rhythmically independent melodies at the same time. So in this excerpt, Shostakovich wasn't writing a full-fledged fugue. He was writing a fugato, F-U-G-A-T-O, which is a fugal technique. It's not a whole fugue from beginning to end, but he's using the technique of a fugue. Now, when Shostakovich wrote his fourth symphony, he was already in trouble because of the Lady Macbeth opera he wrote. There was an article published in the Russian newspaper Pravda in which Shostakovich was declared an enemy of the state by Stalin. If you're declared an enemy of the state by Stalin, you better watch your back. As you walk down the street, people are looking at you, people are trying to avoid you, and Shostakovich's life was never the same after that. So, how does an enemy of the state respond? Well, he was pretty brave because then he wrote Symphony Number no. 4, which was definitely not supposed to please Stalin. Now, we don't really know exactly when he finished the composition of the Fourth Symphony. He might have already had it done by the time Lady Macbeth was premiered. But in any event, he knew what to expect with a performance like that. And as I said, the premiere was canceled. He was quoted as saying to a friend, I'm not writing for the newspaper Pravda, I'm writing for myself. And later on in life, he said to a friend, The authorities tried everything they knew to get me to repent and expiate my sin, but I refused. I was young then, and I had my physical strength. Instead of repenting, I composed my fourth symphony. So Dimitri was a brave guy, but he and the orchestra were definitely feeling a lot of pressure from the authorities. And that may have been why the premiere was canceled. And then he composed the much more conventional fifth symphony. And this is where that book that I told you about, Testimony, comes in. Now, here's the issue. When Solomon Volkov, the Russian journalist, wrote Testimony, he had taken notes, a lot of notes, interviewing Shostakovich, and he actually had Shostakovich sign the title page of each chapter. But we don't have the original. And because we don't have the original, we don't know how accurate this book is. How much of this is really Shostakovich speaking, and how much of it is really... Volkov speaking. Now, we know for sure that Shostakovich was very critical of Stalin, so a lot of the things that he says in testimony might be very accurate. We just don't know for sure how accurate they are. And one thing that he talks about is sarcasm in his music. So, encoded in some of Shostakovich's music, like, for instance, the Fifth Symphony, is a hidden sarcastic musical portrayal of Stalin's oppressive regime. According to Shostakovich, it appears or it sounds like Shostakovich is succumbing to Stalin's political pressure and just giving in 
giving him the socialist realism that Stalin wants and staying away from formalism, that's on the surface. But underneath, he's really blasting Stalin, intentionally being the fool, playing the fool. It's called being a Eurodivy composer, Y-U-R-O-D-I-V-Y. Now, this word, Eurodivy, is a Russian word and roughly translating to the holy fool or the fool for Christ. And if you were the holy fool, you were intentionally giving up life's pleasures and giving up your worldly possessions for the benefit of worshiping Christ or trying to emulate Christ. But in this case, being the holy fool is intentionally being a fool. You're intentionally acting like a fool to make people think that you're a fool, but you're really not. You're smarter than they are. Now, was Shostakovich intentionally doing this kind of thing in his compositions? It's very possible that he was, but we don't know for sure looking at this manuscript because, again, we don't know how much of testimony is genuine. Now, there is some conflict in the Fifth Symphony. It's not like it's all happy, but nothing like the excerpt that I just played from the Fourth Symphony. And at the very famous finale, at the very end of the Fifth Symphony, we get an unmistakable impression of supreme joy, rejoicing, victory, Mother Russia wins at the end, long live Stalin, long live his regime. But is Shostakovich really saying that at the end, or is he being the holy fool? Is this a sarcastic rejoicing? Hidden in the music, is he really calling Stalin a bully and a tyrant? Well, according to the text of Volkov's testimony, yes, that's exactly what Shostakovich is doing. And before I play you the ending of the Fifth Symphony, by way of comparison, I want to play you the ending of the Fourth Symphony. The ending of the Fourth Symphony is hauntingly beautiful. It's one of my favorite endings of any symphony of the 20th century. It actually reminds me of the ending of uh, a set of songs that Mahler wrote called Das Lied von der Erde, the Songs of the Earth which I've spoken about in a prior episode, two very different types of pieces uh, with different narratives, but the same kind of haunting beauty, I think, in each of those pieces. So first, let me play you the finale, the last couple minutes of Symphony Number no. 4. It's a little bit quiet, so you might want to put up the volume on your speakers.
And to really appreciate the full effect, you have to listen to the entire symphony from beginning to end. It really is a great symphony, the fourth symphony. And so is the fifth. But like I said, more conventional. Because basically, Shostakovich had a gun pointed to his head, figuratively speaking. Now, I'd like to compare what you just heard, the ending of the fourth symphony, and also the excerpt that you heard from the fourth symphony, to the very ending of the fifth symphony. And now, here is the theory. We don't know if this is 100% true, because, again, we have his memoirs called Testimony, but we don't know how accurate those quotations are. But here's the theory. At the ending of the fifth symphony, you're going to hear repeated notes in the high strings... You're also going to hear big, loud, boisterous brass fanfares. And you're also going to hear a cliche kind of with the timpani. The timpani is going to be going bum, 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 which has been done a million times. So there's a little hint there. So I'd like you to listen to it first, and then we're going to talk about it. That was the great Leonard Bernstein conducting the New York Philharmonic. Now, anybody listening to that music would be very impressed. Wow, that is something. Very accessible, very easy to listen to, makes you feel good, makes you think of victory and rejoicing. And you could see Stalin giving him a standing ovation. Dimitri, perfect, that's exactly what I was looking for. Now you know what Russia sounds like. Ha ha ha. Not really, because it's very possible that Shostakovich was smirking to himself at the premiere. He didn't have to write a piece like that. He could easily write a piece like that. But after what he wrote in pieces like Lady Macbeth and Symphony No. 4, he certainly didn't have to write an ending like that. How many times have you heard a timpani go, bum, 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 bum? Kind of sounds a little sarcastic to me, a little bit too simplistic. I could see the holy fool winking when I listened to that music. And in the book Testimony, Shostakovich is quoted, we, we don't know if he actually said this, but he is quoted as saying that the rejoicing at the end of the finale is forced. And a lot of people interpret those repeated notes in the high strings, it's actually a high A repeated over 200 times. The repeated A is like the Russian people stuck on a note they're prisoners of Stalin. They have to stand at attention and be obedient at all times and always be loyal. That's what that, that repeated note is, unwavering loyalty, while Stalin in the background is being the tyrant that he always is. That's the timpani. Bum, 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 bum. And the fanfare and the brass, false rejoicing. 
Now, Shostakovich wrote quite a lot of joyful music in the past. I mean, this could be just real, genuine celebration. But judging from the political climate at the time and all the pressure that he received from writing his opera Lady Macbeth and then later the Fourth Symphony, I don't think Shostakovich was being 100% sincere with this celebration. That's my personal opinion. I have no proof of that. When the symphony actually premiered in 1937, a reviewer wrote that it was a Soviet artist's reply to just criticism. But if anything, regardless of the veracity of the book Testimony, this story reminds us of how fortunate we are and how important it is to live in a society that encourages and allows free expression. I mean, can you imagine living in a society like Stalin's regime where a simple paint stroke can mean being sent to prison or a musical gesture that he didn't like can get you into trouble and all of a sudden you're in front of a show trial defending yourself? I believe 100% in free speech and free expression. As long as the free speech and the free expression does not promote hate or violence. Because you and I know there are people out there who, when they hear messages of hate and violence, they don't just brush it off, they take it to heart. It's inspirational to them. So that cherished freedoms that we can easily take for granted, like freedom of speech and freedom of expression, should never be abused. Because if those freedoms are exploited and are abused, the end product will always be the same. We will lose those very freedoms. And with that, I hope to see you next time, because one thing about Dr. Music, it just gets better and better.